0: Welcome to the Changemaker Compass podcast, a podcast series hosted through UNA-USA, a movement of Americans standing up for the United Nations. I'm your host, Dustin Liu. Within this podcast, we'll have the chance to hear from those on the ground tackling today's most pressing issues and learn about ways we can work together to build a better world. Today, we'll be speaking with Saad Amer, a youth climate activist and founder of Plus One Vote on the importance of voting and centering youth leadership. Saad, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Saad, uh, before we begin, I'd love to start with the check-in round. Um, Our check-in question for today is, what was your favorite children's book growing up and why?
1: Uh, I did not read very much as a child. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, I really loved Dr. Seuss. Um, You know, there was this one classic called One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. It was about one fish, maybe two fish, like some red or blue fish. I don't really remember. You know, but it was just like fun and rhymey. And, you know, then I grew up and apparently Dr. Seuss just has all of this really woke commentary about world wars and, you know, inequality and, and all this really woke stuff in these children's books, which was like absolutely beyond my head as like a four year old. Um, you know, but I had a whole like stack of his books and in middle school our teacher was like obsessed with using non traditional forms of education. And so like my that US history teacher would go to things like Dr. Seuss and we would like read Dr. Seuss in the eighth grade, but sort of expound on the woke realities of Dr. Seuss. So it was, you know, a really fun way to have a different perspective to learn about, about things that you probably wouldn't have understood as a four year old. Um, Yeah, so definitely a fan of Dr. Seuss. How about you, Dustin?
0: Uh, for me, it was probably uh, The Giving Tree. I remember it was the first time that I thought about growing old. And it also was the first time that I thought about, you know, the capacity that we do have to give uh, to others. And And I just remember flipping through the book, I think 24 times the first time I read it, and just being so fascinated by how much the tree had to give. So um, it was an interesting point in my life to think about. You know, I was like six, right? But at that point, it's like, Wow maybe I can be nicer. Maybe I can give more. Um, So it was a really formative book to have read early on.
1: I think when I read that, I was like, why does the tree keep giving? Like, just
0: I hear you. So Saad, on this podcast, we love to start with the human bio of our guests. So I'm wondering if you can, you know, beyond the resume, beyond your accomplishments, who is Saad Amir?
1: So I am Saad Amer, You know, I'm a climate activist and the founder of Plus One Vote. But, you know, at heart, I'm I'm just, you know, I'm the child of immigrants from Pakistan. I'm from Long Island, always been a huge nature lover. You know, I you can find me on the streets eating ice cream and playing Pokemon Go. And that's just who I am, you know?
0: <laughs> Saad, I'm wondering if you can circle back to you know, your interest in nature, when did that start? When did that grow for you? When did that really begin?
1: I always thought nature was so cool. You know, I remember being a kid and planting daffodils around my house with my mom. And, you know, you kind of just like plant these like little bulbs, like those seeds in the ground. And months later, they just like explode. And there's like these leaves and there's these yellow flowery things. And as a child, I was just like, whoa, was all that in that little seed? Like, how did that happen, you know? And not knowing anything about basic biology, I assumed that like, you know, they're like, oh, the plant feeds on the soil. So I thought it was like literally eating the soil, you know? I I just thought nature was the most fascinating, interesting thing and just seeing from those daffodils how you can sort of just go out and plant something and have that become something entirely new and beautiful really became a lens for me to see the rest of the environment and to just understand that every tree, every blade of grass, every creature, every animal has this backstory that just sort of evolved and developed on its own in this natural, organic way. I just thought it was so cool. And understanding my sort of place in that context was really invigorating for me and really empowering to think of myself as this larger environmental system rather than just like this kid, you know, out in the forest, you know what I mean?
0: Totally. And, and it sounds as though you had some experiences that really exposed you to that connection. So I'm wondering if you can zoom in for me uh, on one moment from your early childhood where you had a deep connection with nature and in that moment, you know, something that you still think about to this day.
1: When I was in the ninth grade, I actually did a lot of environmental organizing and, you know, there was this land preserve in my local community called the Fish Thicket Land Preserve. It was a hundred acre preserve. And I did a lot of work there with, with my school and actually created this big education curriculum. We brought out like thousands of students to this preserve and taught them about climate change and, you know, and, uh, conservation and the environment. And one day I was in the preserve just by myself. And I remember sitting down and I saw a turtle. I got really excited because I didn't usually see turtles there. And if you didn't already know, turtles are really cool. And so, you know, I got down and I have my camera and I start taking pictures of this turtle. And I'm just like sitting there waiting for the turtle to do something. He kind of, you know, just went in his shell because he's like, who's this kid? And, as I'm just like sitting there, I notice all of these bugs just walking around and and I start following them with my eyes and I see, oh, all these ants are, are going somewhere, you know, and they were going to eat some larger bug. And as I look at that larger bug, I see a spider web. And when I look in the spider web, I see a fly that was caught in the web and, and a spider about to go and, and eat it. And I, I'm hearing the birds chirping. Up in the sky, I'm hearing the leaves in the canopy sort of rustle. And as I was there on the ground, I kind of understood whoa, there is all this life and diversity, biodiversity here, right here in this ecosystem. And while I got excited by this turtle, all this other stuff was happening around me. And the, all of this stuff was happening in this large connected web, you know, it was sort of basic you know bio 101 the birds eat the bugs the bugs eat other bugs eat plants and it's you know this whole system and in that moment I feel like I really understood my place in that entire system and it really brought to life this ecosystem that I was in that I'd always grown up in as my local community and made me understand just how interconnected all of this is
0: How did you find out about the realities of climate change? You've shared a little bit about understanding the portrait of how beautiful nature is and about, uh, you know, your own experiences acknowledging that we're all part of this larger system. Do you remember when you realized that there was a reality of climate change that we were facing as a world?
1: I think that at some level, I had heard about it a lot here and there. You know, I was always into watching documentaries, of course, you know, actually in that same... um, in that same eighth grade class I was talking about, we watched An Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore, you know, and just had like a whole sit down lesson on what climate change is and how it's impacting the world. And, you know, just seeing these visuals, whether it was in documentaries or on the news, scarcely on the news at that time, um, uh, you know, it really got me interested in, in what exactly is this? And when I started getting involved in the local environment in my own community, I really understood that this was a small sect of this larger global picture. So the more I stepped out, the more I understood how all of these human interactions are impacting this local ecosystem. You know, at my school, we were literally protecting this preserve from a bunch of corporate interests that were trying to originally buy out that land and turn it into a parking lot or you know, some store or whatever uh, commercial interest. And instead, my school, we were able to organize and take that plot of land and, and have it be a preserve, right? So very early, I understood the power of people, of people power and of organizing with local governments and seeing that direct impact of preventing people from destroying nature and how that can really be healing for a community that can then use those types of natural spaces as a sort of living classroom, but also just the inherent value of of saving a local environment. And so I think at the same time, you know, my family being from Pakistan and sort of having this lens and interest in global affairs, climate change, global warming, the climate crisis, however you want to call it. Really impacts the world as a whole, and understanding that it was impacting my family in South Asia and you know how that was expanding and getting worse across the world made me sort of understand like this is real, we need to do something about this. And if we're not actively taking action, then we're sort of complicit in the system that is happening around us, and that's not an excuse. You know, a lack of knowledge or a lack of interest isn't a good excuse to not take action because, you know, whether you realize it or not, you're contributing to this. And because you have the active choice to contribute to it, you also have the active choice to change that system, to organize in that system and to fundamentally transform that system. So I chose that route.
0: Saad, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about, you know, making that choice to speak up and making that choice to organize. I think for a lot of young people, um, I've always been curious about what was your first, you know, model of organizing? Did you have a mentor? Was there an experience? Was there someone that uh, provided you the tools to do that? You know, what affordances did you have in order to start organizing at a young age?
1: So when I was in the ninth grade, my the first day of my first, you know, year of my and my first period of high school was my with my biology teacher. And he is just like the most wonderful ray of sunshine you could ever have the blessing of meeting in your entire life. And I think immediately we sort of just had an affinity of just like talking to each other. He was like a super smart guy, super friendly and never doubted students you know, always believed that young people, regardless of their age, sort of had this inherent curiosity. And, you know, when it it really started with that, you know, at first he was like, oh, you know, you're getting good grades in the science class. And, you know, you're clearly interested in all the science stuff. Why don't you join the high school's uh, science research program? So I was like, I don't know what that means. But okay. Um, You know, I just was like, okay. And it was that moment where in that class was essentially like, A handful of kids in the school that would just you know kind of chill it was pretty it was a pretty relaxed program and you could do as much or as little as you wanted and so i would just spend that entire period just talking to him about science and the environment and we would just come up with all these ideas and so we kind of realized like oh there's an opportunity with this preserve that we can you know really teach a lot of other people and scale up and start doing stuff so Then I literally just brought in my friends. I was like, hey, guys, like, let's do some stuff. (laughs) So then we just started organizing. We started going there. We started doing cleanups. We started bringing in other schools. We realized we wanted to make this much more accessible. And I realized that um, we could actually provide these tours of no cost to other students and to the district as well. Um, By virtue of using the buses in our district, um, we're just sort of, you know, they, they bus out kids in the morning bring them back in the afternoon and I found out they were just chilling in 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 the middle of the day and I was like hmm well why don't we just you know use those and so I was able to organize that with um with our school district and then just started bussing out literal you know then it was literal busloads of students coming to this preserve with me and other tour guides we were able to train 50 tour guides across our district and just like you know, I wrote up a curriculum with my science teacher. And then, you know, that started getting a lot of national attention and all this stuff. And it just really scaled up pretty quickly. But it started from just me and my high school bio teacher just trying to chill. And, you know, just both loving the natural world.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what qualities your high school teacher had? Because what what I'm really interested in, and in the conversations that I've been having is the role of adult allies, and how we can encourage others to play those roles as well. So, you know, what did your high school science teacher do for you that activated you as a youth leader?
1: I think he consistently always would just find opportunities to help amplify the work that we were doing, the interests of other students and and actively be looking for opportunities for students to go beyond the classroom and use other spaces for learning and for social good. And so, you know, I I, I remember like, we would be at at a science fair, or I would be presenting a video about the work we were doing at a preserve or some space like that. And he would be like, hey, that guy over there does so and so with uh, the county, you know, you should go talk to him. And me not quite knowing what that meant, like, oh, I don't know, I, I, I don't think at that level, I even understood what an elected official was, or what it meant to work at, you know, these bigger NGOs, or whatever. And so I just be like, okay, and I would just go and start talking to them, be like, hi, I'm Saad, I work at the Fish Thicket, and we do all this environmental stuff. And we like, organizing, we talk about climate change, and, and you know, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, it sort of made me not fear talking to other adults. And, of being able to very quickly build up a group of supporters, who then took interest in what I was doing, and would then just lend their support, you know, so we were able to, even at that time, get the support of Brookhaven National Laboratory, which is one of the national laboratories of the US where a lot of major, 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 major scientific discoveries happen. Um, And we were able to Then work with them, present there, have all these scientists come in and teach us about all this like next level climate, ecosystem, open space science. And you know, because of that, I think a lot of the students in this program that we literally created, including myself, were able to just get access to so much knowledge from such awesome people. And it was really my high school science teacher identifying different opportunities and expanding the world of, of what I even thought was possible. I didn't go to some like bougie fancy, you know, high school district that had like infinite resources and and access to all sorts of stuff. It was like you know kind of like what's in the school is what's in the school and like good luck. Like you know, we we used to have like fight Fridays where there would be like these like massive brawls in the hallways all the time, um, or on Fridays and you know it was just its own thing within the school, but really thinking beyond that and how even at a young age, you can have impact beyond the school that you're in really opened my eyes to what was in the world beyond. And I'm very grateful for, for that science teacher for doing all of that.
0: Thanks for sharing. And Sad, I'm wondering how those formative experiences impacted your journey as a climate activist. Um, curious if you can just give a few highlights on your journey within your climate activism.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, even even in the past few months a lot of crazy stuff has been happening. But you know, I've had the opportunity to work on the ground in India in the Himalayas to, you know, advocate for policy change at the UN, to lobby Congress for support it to for support for our national parks and actually just helped pass a 6.5 billion dollar bill, the Great American Outdoors Act through the Congress and Senate, um, and, you know, was able to uh, get all that funding for our national parks and for an additional $900 million for um, land and, and wildlife conservation services. I've, you know, had the ability to found my own organization, Plus One Vote, and talk about voting advocacy and climate change. Just awesome, awesome icons that I've just been very grateful to work with. And I think, I think what I'm most grateful for is being able to now still work and organize with youth. I just came from a meeting or that we're organizing a strike for in New York, a climate strike with a bunch of youth organizers who are also in high school or lower. And, you know, I think there are of course having these major opportunities to work with these cool organizations and people, but I think change always happens at the grassroots and activists decide and dictate the moral compass of a nation. And so I'm just very happy to be able to have my hands in that work actively and to let that guide a lot of what I do in terms of the rest of my work.
0: Sad, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about your gifts. Um, on the podcast we talk a lot about how we have to meet our gifts with the world's needs and curious for you, you know what do you see as your gifts? that you bring to your organizing and what makes you an effective organizer?
1: In many ways, I feel like I've gotten lucky. <laughs> you know, in, in the respect that people are just, I think if you meet people with kindness, they'll meet you back with that same sort of kindness. So wherever I've been in the world, whatever community, I have found that the people have been receptive to the work that I was doing and to me, just because I was genuinely curious, like, what's happening here? What are the issues here? How can we improve what's happening here? What do you think? you know? And really, just, I think, having really nice, supportive people around me has just really grounded a lot of what I do. And I, I honestly think of all the things, you know, I don't know what people see on the outside, but for me, I'm just happy to have all these really nice, wonderful people around me, doing nice, awesome things, and that everyone's just willing to collab and do these, like, dope things.
0: I hear that. And Saad, I'm curious, you know, pivoting a little bit to Plus One Vote, talk to me a little bit about the model of change behind the organization.
1: Yeah, so I founded Plus One Vote in the lead up to the midterms, the midterm elections here in the US in 2018. And for me, I felt like, you know, we often talk about voter registration, we talk about the need to bring young people or people of young people or people of color out into these conversations and really engage them. And I found that the people who were saying that were never young people, and they were never people of color. And the more I started looking at that, I, I, I realized like, oh, our system was designed by certain people. And to this day is still run by those same people. And until we start broadening and expanding the scope of that, nothing's going to change. And when I started talking to the people around me, it was like, oh, wait, we could make a lot of these changes. Like, what if we each brought in one other person into this movement? Like, let's just start there. And it sort of started this guiding question of who's your plus one? Who's the one person that you can register to vote? Who's the one person that you can bring with you to the polls? And when we started doing that, it became so clear that, yo, this is so easy, like organizing around voting. like." in some ways it seems like this big out of this world, you know, political strategy type, whatever, but at the same time, no, it's so simple. It starts with one. And so, you know, then that was the birth of plus one vote of really just getting people to understand you are a part of the system. You belong in the system. You know, your voice is important and you know, whatever it is that you're passionate about, talk to the people around you, bring in your plus ones and, and from there, it scales up from being me bringing in one or two of my friends to, you know, thousands of people doing that, creating this massive march to the polls and really increasing and fundamentally changing voter turnout, which then impacts the policies that we have on issues like climate change or voting rights or social justice or health care or gun reform and just really changing the game of what's happening.
0: You know, why is it important that young people are engaged in social issues? Why is it important for young people to, to leverage the personal influence that they do have on their own communities?
1: I think that no one can represent your voice better than you can, right? Like, if you're waiting for somebody else to sit and speak up for you, like, why should they, you know? And, and especially looking at our democratic system, in the way that we have our representatives, we think that they represent entire communities, but the reality is they're only representing voters, and they are only representing that, when, especially they're going to represent the issues of their community when they feel like their jobs are at stake, right? Like if you can get an elected official to feel like, oh, like if I don't take the, side, take the side on this particular political issue, my job might be in jeopardy, you know? And when you start to realize that's how the system works, that these representatives are only representing voters, you very quickly understand if I'm not voting, I am not represented. And if you want to build up your own voice, your own political will, your own political community, then you need to organize around the issues that are around you. And if you're not speaking up, you shouldn't expect that things are just going to magically appear in policy. You shouldn't expect that, you know, people who are not going to be alive and are in our government in, you know, uh, people who are in our government and are not going to be alive in 20 years or so that they're going to care fundamentally about issues like climate change. And, you know, if you're young and you're upset by school shootings, well, these people are not in school anymore. So they don't care, you know, and they're only going to care once they hear the voices of young people at the polls, because then it becomes their job to care. And in that way, it's so important that we represent our communities, be it at a school level, at, you know, whatever it is in your neighborhood, in your County, wherever, Because that's how you get people to understand those issues. You know, if the people in Flint weren't talking about the lead poisoning that they were experiencing, the entire world wouldn't know what was happening there, and they wouldn't have been allocated millions of dollars of funding to address those issues. Now, those issues are still not fixed years later, and that's an entire (laughs) another conversation. But the reality is, if those local advocates weren't speaking up for those major issues, things wouldn't have changed if my community wasn't speaking about the need to conserve that land preserve in my community, it would probably be torn down in a parking lot right now. And so it's so important that we speak up because otherwise other interests will come in and those are going to be the only ones that are represented.
0: Awesome answer. Saad, we're going to move into rapid fire questions. So I'm encouraging you to keep it brief and brilliant. Um, How would you define leadership? Your voice. What SDG are you most passionate about and why?
1: Climate action! (laughs) Why is because if young people... Because we need to center conversations on climate and racial justice. And if we don't, we will not be able to survive.
0: What do you hope to see in 2030?
1: climate action to be the default and for all of these climate organizers to be able to go on living their lives because the government has finally woken up to the realities of climate change and everything is just written into policy.
0: What advice do you have for youths hoping to be changemakers? Start. How can listeners get involved in your work?
1: If you care about elections and voting, go to plusonecampaign.org slash join and you can sign up right there and join the movement.
0: Thank you so much, Saad, for your time. It was really wonderful hearing about your own journey as a change maker, and also hearing about your passion for voting and for just making sure that our elected representatives are not just representing a small part of our communities, but if all of us are at the polls and voting, it can really be a true democracy.
1: Yeah, it's 2020. And this is the climate election. This is the election that will dictate policy on climate change for really the next decade. We know that we need to address climate change in this decade. We need a reduction of carbon emissions 7.5% every year from now until 2030. And we are nowhere on track. So if you want to save the planet, and you know, whatever other social issues it is that you're passionate about, it's really important that we're out here voting, and we're out here bringing out our communities to vote, especially young people, because no one reaches out to us, and if we can reach out to each other, we can fundamentally change what happens in the course of policy here in this country and really around the world. So show up to the polls. The election's coming up November 3rd. Request your absentee ballot. You can do that at plus1campaign.org slash ballot, or cut that out at plus one campaign.org slash absentee and we can fundamentally transform what happens in this election so you know register vote by mail you can vote early and you can also vote in person depending on where you are so let's do it
0: awesome thanks for this conversation sad
1: amazing thanks dustin
0: thanks for listening to this episode of changemaker compass If you'd like to learn more about UNA USA, find us at unausa.org. If you'd like to follow along my journey and learn when new episodes of Changemaker Compass are released, follow me at Observer on social media. If you have suggestions for the podcast, you can reach me at USYouthObserver at unausa.org. So grateful to have you part of our podcast audience. Look out for our next episode coming out soon.